Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's December the 31st, 2021. We've almost made it to the end of this most people would call it a dismal year. I have to admit, it's rather embarrassing confession, though I've actually had rather a good year, but um, perhaps exceptional. Uh, fortunate not to catch any diseases and I remain alive at the end of the year. I've got about 12 more hours in San Francisco to stay alive to reach 2022. It's certainly been a wild year, kind of appropriate, I guess, that um, it's ended with a lot of press about Epstein and Maxwell, her sentence, whether she'll be forced to cut a deal. I don't know, forced to be cutting a deal. I don't know how we force her to do anything in the sense that she has nothing to lose these days. She's going to spend the rest of her life, for better or worse, in jail. Um, one person who apparently should be sweating, although he probably can't, or he claims he can't, is Prince Andrew. Uh, the regal figure, uh, one of the inheritors of British privilege, wealth, and pomp, who apparently was associated with Maxwell and Epstein, or certainly the accusations are there. Uh, Maxwell's an interesting character. The New Yorker are, uh, are um, what would we call the New Yorker, to be kind, our, um, our Vatican of... Uh, of morality uh, accuses her of having a relentless uh, ego. She certainly is a kind of modern aristocrat. Um, the New Yorker describes her brand of chili auteur on full display, not being drawn into anything. There's a weird kind of aristocracy, I think, about um, Maxwell, and that she never inherited any money. She never had any money from her father, who was a criminal bankrupt. So she had to rely on Jeffrey Epstein for her money and for her um, aristocracy. In any case, 2021, certainly a year of increasing inequality between the Maxwells and Epsteins and Prince Andrews of the world and everyone else. According to the FT, deal-making surged past $5.8 trillion. Um, it was a wild year, as I said at the beginning, for markets, stock pulling off big gains. Many of us, and not just the Prince Andrews and Jeffrey Epsteins of the world, benefiting. Uh, housing prices are up, but according to Barron's, another of the publications of American capitalism, Americans can afford more, more and more money going into housing and stock, creating an enormously rich class. Uh, perhaps decimating the middle class. This has been a theme that we focused on a lot this year and creating a, a huge um, underclass. Uh, the stories in the media, of course, are about $39,000 hotel suites for a night for people who spend money on necklaces through uh, Bulgari. But it's more than just a few um, multi-billionaires. It's all of us. And it's creating, I think, a culture of inheritance. In a way, we are returning, I think, to the late Victorian or Edwardian period where we have a large amount of people living amongst us, perhaps you and I, uh, perhaps friends, brothers, uh, siblings, um, husbands or wives or children, 
that we're never going to need to work. I think this is going to have a huge impact on our culture and our economics. And one person uh, who has been spending a lot of time thinking about this is my guest today, Meredith Haggerty. She's the author of Airmail, uh, which is um, a very intriguing new newsletter on Substack. Meredith is also a distinguished journalist, uh, has been running for many years for various publications. She now works for Vox. Uh, Meredith, Happy New Year. I mean, in 12 hours anyway. Happy Old Year, kind of. Happy, Happy Old Year. Mm-hmm. Um, has anything happened in 2021 to make this issue of inheritance even more pertinent, do you think? Uh, well, I do think it has been a big year for uh, hearing about specific heiresses, which is the subject that my newsletter covers. I would say like increasing inequality uh, is not new to 2021, but it is certainly something that we're like thinking about more uh, closely, maybe noticing a little bit more, especially as we're trapped in our homes, realizing we can't pay for things. Um, so, you know, but we've had obviously the Jillian Maxwell stuff. Paris Hilton got married this year. Uh, Ivy Getty got married this year and made a little splash. In the past, we'd had the, the gosh, what are they? Um, now I'm forgetting the name, Bronfman girls uh, and Nexium. There's just been like a, a little bit of heiress news uh, over the last over the last 12 months, but there kind of always is. What I like about your newsletter, Meredith, is that you're focusing not on the, the Jeff Bezoses and Elon Musk. They're not really heirs. They will have heirs. But heiresses, what's interesting about uh, female heirs, heiresses, as opposed to male heirs? Is there a difference? I mean, I, uh, you know, gender is a construct, et cetera, but it's a, it's a pretty important construct socially. Uh, I actually, so when I started this newsletter, it was mostly just because I thought if I set a Google alert for the word heiress, I would read a lot of stories that were interesting to me personally. Uh, things about dresses, things about gossip, also things about international finance. Um, and that sort of spate of stuff is, is compelling to me. The S sort of got attached because I, I do find it a little bit easier personally to be generous to uh, women when writing about this stuff. Uh, you know, also, you know, if you just had a Google Why? Here, uh, I think because, well, one, you come up with a lot of historical stuff, which, you know, in times when women were like even more specifically disempowered, couldn't couldn't get a credit card, like really had to get married, that sort of thing. Those stories are always compelling to me because you take a person who's sort of stats in terms of family and money are jacked up to 11 but their uh, power in terms of gender is is flat and that tends to make for a compelling narrative historically in the present that stuff is a little more complicated um because we do have you know we women can get their own credit cards uh is basically the thing that is um has changed but what i've found uh in writing this newsletter and, and setting a google alert for the word heiress is that there's still uh plenty of often gendered sadness uh, that people encounter, even if they have a lot of money uh, and a very rich family. So uh, yeah, that is <laughs> that just has turned out to be part of it. Well, your piece, uh, The Impact of, of Inheritance, I thought was one of the more interesting uh, articles written this year, it came from March 2021. You write uh, in The Impact of Inheritance, you say it's a, a tricky thing to talk about, a subject that wraps up money, family, and death in one impossible package. Uh, but you go on to give us some numbers. Uh, Forbes reports uh, in terms of uh, the large amount of cash, I'm quoting you here, that expected to move from the pockets of boomers to everyone younger. Forbes reports 30 trillion, PNC 59 trillion by 2061, CMBC uh, 68 trillion, uh, and the New York Times 
the authority on these sorts of things only talks about 15 trillion. That's still nonetheless a lot of money. How do you expect it to actually change things, Meredith, in terms of how we live our lives? Are we returning to an Edwardian caste system where 10, 15% of people will never need to work and the rest becomes this underclass? With um, AI, many middle-class jobs seem to be going away anyway. I mean, I don't know if we're um, returning to it or if it's just compounding. I do think that like, the thing that I, the thing that I thought was interesting when I started reporting out that story um, was I uh, I read an economist by the name of Edward Wolf who was fantastic and spoke to me for it as well, um, who sort of argued actually that inheritance has something of a democratizing effect um, because people you know while there are some people receiving millions and millions of dollars, um, there are other people who are receiving much smaller sums of money that have a positive impact impact on their lives that can't. They sort of wouldn't find um, otherwise. Yeah, you in your piece, you talk about one woman who inherited $50,000. Um, you quote, as she said, uh, she'd r- still rather have uh, her mom around, but the 50000 was very useful. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the the thing that um, that comes out in a lot of these stories is that like people's lives are difficult and sad almost no matter um no matter how much money they have, like bad things happen to people. That's part of the human condition. That's part of what it means to be alive. And money does make that stuff so much easier. So, um, you know, I think if we, ultimately the whole piece ends up being an argument for like a more robust social safety net, which I feel like is like everything I've ever- Well, yeah, and that's something that um, we've we've read a lot about this year and no doubt we'll read a lot about next year. What about the issue of inheritance tax? You touch on that and I was surprised that you weren't quite as- Bolshevik on uh, inheritance tax, as, as as some writers are, particularly progressive writers, you're ambivalent. You recognize the arguments for and against. I, I guess I, I recognize it in the piece. I would say personally, I am pretty Bolshevik about it. I do think Good. that we should. So am I. Yeah. I mean, I, that is my my actual personal feeling is that we should be. Um, yeah. And the, rea- the reality of the inheritance mm-hmm. tax is you still get a lot of money. I mean, if you inherit, I don't know. $10 million, you still get what, six or 7 million. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's like, that's a whole lot of money. I mean, and the the um, level that we're at currently, which I think is $11 million is when you start getting uh, the, the inheritance tax hitting you is a fairly crazy level uh, in my estimation. I think, you know, we could, could lower that threshold quite a bit and still um, have people inheriting a great amount of money, which for some reason is something we want. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I would say I'm generally more Bolshevik about all this stuff. Um, than necessarily like comes across in that piece because it wasn't about my, my personal feelings as much as it was just trying to sort of assess the lay of the land and talk to economists. I am not an economist. Um, and my idea is that we should just like, you know, redistribute stuff and make people happy, man, is like, you know, not coming from a, a place of, of full uh, education. So I, I, I leaned a little more heavily on economists in that piece. But personally, I would just like to see, like to see a real social safety net is the thing. Because the other thing is like with any tax, with anything, like how will people wiggle their way out of it? Um, and that seems to be, uh, I don't know. Is it, other- uh, oh, is it in reality just some verse, Las Vegas, is some people get really lucky and happen to have wealthy parents and will inherit a lot of money, others don't? Or do you interpret inheritance in a more complicated way? Because presumably when you have parents who have money, it shapes you it affects you you live usually i would guess more privileged lives yeah definitely i mean i think it's just it's like you know there's there's the nature of riches nurture argument all over sort of right and so 
um, you know, people are a product of their own choices, but they're also such a product of these systems and environments and the like push pull of those things that inheritance, I think, just sort of creates like a good um, like test case, like a test group sort of to look at in terms of like, what does money do to a person uh, if they grow up with it? What does money do, um, you know, to their understanding of their own place in the world or their own responsibility to people? And like that, that varies greatly from person to person. Um, and like a definition of what it means to help people varies greatly from person to person, I think, um, is something we especially see in like, uh, in charity when it comes to the very wealthy and, and the charities that they tend to, or that some tend to. Um, do you do you see social capitalism as part of the problem or a fix to all this? You, you've written a, a number of interesting pieces this year in Vox. One is all-consuming, um, quoting the acquisition of stuff looms large in the American imagination. You're certainly not the first or the last person to write about American consumerism. Uh, you write consumerism wasn't always such a dominant force in Americans' lives over the past 100 or so years, though, following the birth of mass production in the early part of the 20th century. Um, the codification of the American dream in the 1950s, the perfection of advertising over the next decades, and the increased centrality of the stuff we own ever since. It has mis metastasized, and I, I assume you use that word carefully, <laughs> intentionally, into yeah. something unavoidable, inescapable, all-consuming. So th this is part of the show, the American show, isn't it, Meredith? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think the way that the, we live within these systems and like trying to recognize these systems is um, is fascinating and hard to do. It's hard to see how much consumerism affects us day to day. Uh, and every time you try to break it down, it, it really bums people out. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's true for the very wealthy and it's true for everyone else. So, Meredith, we're going to take a short break now and then I want to come back and I want to talk about your critique of capitalism and a cultural critique of, of wealthy people in America. You've, you've written some interesting stuff about that. So hold tight and we'll be back in about 60 seconds. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub 
YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We are back with Meredith Haggerty, the author of Airmail, a, a wonderfully entertaining and incisive new um, uh, newsletter on, on Substack and a, and, a, and a prominent, prolific Vox writer. And Meredith, uh, I, I checked out, of course, your Twitter page, and uh, you describe yourself as hating capitalism but loving amenities. What, is, what are amenities? Oh, gosh. I mean, I would say like uh, a really soft blanket, a foot bath of any kind. I, I, like, I, I like anyone. I think enjoy, I enjoy luxuries. Like it's nice to have nice stuff. And it is frustrating how it happens to get them. Yeah, you write uh, on Substack or in an interview with Substack that you're interested in how money affects people, uh, particularly in America. And you suggest that Americans aren't very good at acknowledging their privilege. What is it about America? Is it because um, it's supposed to be the country of equality and democracy that people will simply refuse to acknowledge their privilege? Yeah, I think it's hard for people to uh, understand maybe that things didn't happen because of their own um, abilities, too. I think that's something that that frustrates people and upsets them when you, when you put it to them. I know that it's like, I feel like this is all stuff that I've gone through in my life to understand. Are you privileged? Like, Were you from a wealthy family? My, like, uh, not not an heiress wealthy family. My dad is a, was a salesman for DuPont uh, and, like, did, did well for himself. And they were very focused on being able to, like, give me the things that they were able to give me. Are they still um, alive? Yeah. Did they, they read your stuff on inheritance? I, I bet when they read it, they said, well, we're not <laughs> leaving you anything. Oh my God. No, that's that, that part of the, my obsession with it is because I, I grew up with my parents talking all the time about what was going to be mine. And, uh, uh, and that's, uh, I think that's, we can criticize the young, <laughs> but I think that's unhealthy, isn't it? It's, it's a little deranged. It's a little um, macabre, I think. Um, but Were they trying to make you guilty or happy? Did they feel that you weren't responding to their love enough? No, I, I think it's um, I, I think it's much more loving than that. I think it, they just wanted me to know that they were doing all this for me, uh, which is, I think, a really kids beautiful hate thing. that, though. If I ever said that to my kids, they'd never speak to me again. Uh, it's true. I mean, I did not enjoy hearing it, but I think like I think it was it was very, very important to them. Um, and it remains so. My dad is actually quoted extensively in the the Vox piece for March, which he loves because he loves to. Well, I hope um, you'll get to watch yeah. this. And Mr. Haggerty, Happy New Year, too. Let's come back, Meredith, to, mm -hmm. to your observations about Americans not willing to acknowledge that they are um, privileged, that they're part of an aristocracy. You don't have to be a Kardashian or a Lady Gaga or a Paris Hilton mm -hmm. uh, to be part of this new privileged class. How does it manifest itself in cultural and political terms? Let's well, actually, I do, I wouldn't, one thing I've seen in the U.S. a lot is um, that people who come from inherited wealth are very, very quick to point out their sort of own work, the, what they've done to, um, to utilize their position, which I also, I think it would, you know, there is something, I guess, admirable to working rather than not working. I, I don't know, that's also sort of complicated, but like, I appreciate the impulse to point to your hard work um, when you're a person who's been given a lot of stuff. I would also really appreciate uh, like a more um, thorough reckoning of the effect of, of privilege in people's lives. Just, I don't know. I think it's just something people find distasteful. 
you know, you see a lot of, I guess some people call it poor mouthing when you, when people sort of pretend to be more impoverished or having more difficult time than, than they really do. I think it's a pretty common um, way of sort of uh, building self-mythology. And um, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, there's no way of becoming, of, of stopping the conversation at a, a coastal dinner party than to uh, acknowledge one's own privilege and show off about it. Be proud mm. of the fact that you had a nanny or that you were from wealthy par parents. People are very, very uncomfortable with that. It's almost like uh, speaking uh, in support of Trump or the KKK or something. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's gross to be proud of it. It's gross to hide it. It's sort of just. It's like a little gross. Money's gross. Have we returned though to 18th century uh, France, uh, Meredith? Uh, is there a is there a um, a revolution brewing? Uh, AOC seems to think so. Her tax the rich dress was very controversial, and there is a strong left wing on the Democratic Party of AOC and Bernie Sanders. Very much, I'm not sure if they're in favor of revolution in in terms of blood on the streets, but they're certainly in favor of fundamentally altering the system. Yeah, I mean, I do think that people have a more um, complicated and ac or accurate and uh, intensive view of wealth inequality these days um, and something we're talking about, which is that's that seems like progress to me because it's not like a lot of this stuff is new. Um, it has gotten worse in a lot of ways, I think. But um, I don't know, the the presence of Amazon in American life, I think, has sort of pushed us to understand some things about how money works uh, and where it comes from and who it affects and how it affects them. I, I've just seen so much more about workers and unions and um, and understanding sort of the plight of the regular person over the last few years, I think that's, I think that's positive, uh, positive. Uh, Paradith, uh, Meredith, how, not Paradith, Meredith, how does the, um, the Trump phenomenon play out? He clearly has a, a lot of support amongst the middle and lower middle class, working class <laughs> white people in this country. He's unambiguously in favor of inheritance he surrounds himself he inherited huge amount of money from his father which he acknowledges was the foundation of his wealth his business is a family business he will eventually when he dies pass on his wealth if there's any left uh, to his children why do you think there's so much sympathy and support for trump amongst people who will never inherit money I, don't know. I mean, I, I do think it maybe goes back a little bit to that um, that line about everyone in America being a temporary, temporarily embarrassed millionaire uh, and the belief that, you know, someday we'll, we'll be there ourselves. I think um, people really see themselves people. Some people really saw themselves in him and that um, the, the disparity, the the disdain he might have for people. None of that really seemed to penetrate um, the belief that there's our guy uh, getting and what about the idea that. It's simply wrong to inherit money that you didn't work for. That's yeah. certainly some people on the left. I grew up in 1960s and 70s England with that belief being fairly mainstream. It was accepted accepted that you needed to work um, for your privilege rather than just inherit huge amounts of money, or at least it should be significantly taxed. When I was growing up in England, uh, the estate tax was very, very high. It's much lower now. Mm -hmm. I I don't know exactly how that so fell out of favor, but it does seem like, I mean, I don't know. I do think it was a sort of a little bit of a boomer generation thing, the, these expectations of, of having this stuff passed on and then being able to pass it on further, um, that that got codified into the sort of acceptable inheritance that we have today or the acceptable expectation of 
of that stuff. Um, I, I think it's like, I don't know, I think for a certain type of American driver, it was like, it was a boon to be able to pass that stuff on to family. And they'd seen how it played out for, for wealthier classes and to be able to do it themselves was a part of the American dream to some degree. Um, and whether or not that worked out, not so much. Uh, but, you know, I think it's hard to shake, basically. Meredith, you write a lot on culture for, for Vox. Right? You're the, the culture editor there. You've written uh, in terms of inheritance about Paris Hilton. Um, I'm not sure if you've written about the Kardashians, but they certainly come to mind in all this. How does the American obsession with celebrity and this inheritance economic culture, how do they clash combine? It's funny because I would actually say that like most, something I've sort of learned in doing the newsletter is that most um, like very wealthy Americans who've inherited a lot of money aren't pursuing a Kim Kardashian or Paris Hilton line. Like we have Kim and we have Paris uh, and they both do, you know, come from family money or have that background of family money. But that is not, um, I don't know. I don't think we've seen the sort of like explosion of people trying to create that for themselves. What we do have is like an explosion of influencers um, and explosion of aspirational uh, content like on social media pages through much less traditional forms of, of press attention. So the sort of I don't know, the Paris Hilton model, the Kim Kardashian model, they're both sort of old. They were like the first and last of the of a generation being able to um, play on their wealth uh, in exactly that media friendly way. Now, I think people do it on their own, their own pages and their own time with their own sponsorships. Um, and we don't necessarily understand it in the same way that we understood a Kim or a Paris. But that said, Paris Hilton, I don't know, still famous, I guess. Uh, as someone, it's weird, read a newsletter called Airmail and find Paris Hilton like extremely, extremely boring. But I, I just, she is just not the most interesting version of the archetype to me. So her her continued um, relevance is the word I'm going to use, even though I feel like she's irrelevant, um, it is mystifying to me personally. Well, you are part of that influencer yeah. group, your Airmail um Substack newsletters going out, and that's how I came across your work. Um, I knew you from Vox as well. What's the state of journalism in 2021? Um, Meredith, you're on the front lines of this. Uh, do you think the future of journalism is Vox-style journalism, where you're working for a publication, or Substack-style journalism, where you as an influencer will build your own business through subscriptions? I mean, I don't, I don't think the two are like mutually exclusive, I guess is what I would say. I've been sort of enthusiastic, I'll say, um, with seeing, I don't know, a little bit, I think you see the star system that was codified by mainstream publications um, moving over to Substack. And I don't actually think that that's necessarily such a bad thing for publications or for stars, for, for people who have really, I'm, and I would not count myself you among mean the, them. The, the Andrew Sullivans of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To, to see those people, um, you know, sort of be able to go off and do exactly what it is they want to do. I mean, I, I, I'm an editor, so I personally do think that everyone needs an editor. I would love it if somebody edited airmail, although I also would hate it as all editors. I hate being edited, but, um, I think everyone benefits from that kind of thing. And I think people benefit from, uh, from institutions to some degree, but I also think that there are a lot of people who, um, work in these newsrooms who maybe have a different opportunity now that some of um, some of the oxygen is back in the room. We've had a number of interviews actually with Substack people. Um, 
And I know at the end of your interview uh, on Substack, which um, you talk about inheritance and ML, uh, you suggested uh, looking at another Substack writer, uh, Dave Infante. What's so interesting about Dave? Uh, Dave Dave's the best. Uh, so Dave writes about uh, alcohol and drinking culture and the internet um, altogether. He has a very uh, le- left-minded view of, of uh, the drinking establishment, which I think you just don't really see in um, in journalism about the industry. It's just not it's not a place that is particularly um, like all business writing, you know, I think can use a little more, <laughs> a little can more. Can we get him on? Is he a friend of yours? Yeah, Dave's a friend. Yeah, totally. I'm sure he would love to come on. Um, is he ever sober? <laughs> yes, he is definitely ever sober. I, I have to admit that I'm, um, my, my big idea for 2022 is prohibition. Mm-hmm. I oh. think it's a, a, an old idea that needs to be uh, reinvented, reestablished, re, re uh, re, re, replaced in, in, yeah. in America. Uh, my wife uh, does a lot of drinking and her associates are all drunkards uh, mm. at their tailgate parties. So, um, kind of a, so I, a, I think that yeah. I'm trying to encourage her, she says it's not going to happen, to make her tailgate <laughs> mm. alcohol-free. What do you think of that mm. as, a, as a 2022 aspiration? I like I like this as you as sort of like an inverse carry nation who was doing it to keep the men from beating their wives. You're like my wife is drinking too much. It's time to turn that around. Yeah, my, wine moms. Well, are my wife beats me. So, yeah. uh, you know what? Why not uh, try it out? I don't think people are going to like it. But th- then again, sober curiosity has had a huge uh, huge moment over the last two years. People drinking less alcoholic, you know, lower ABV beverages. Dave's certainly written about it. Um, knows a lot more than I do, but uh, yeah, why not? Try it out. See how people respond. Well, I wanted to find a particularly unpopular idea for 2022. Mm-hmm. Mine is prohibition. Do you have one, Meredith? Something that will really offend yeah. people? I, I'm going to say uh, give more money to rich people. That's that's my new. Yeah. <laughs> how are we going to do that? You mean it. just do away with the ta- estate tax or have some reverse system where the more money you have, the more you get from the state? Yeah, I think we already have that system, actually. But yeah, let's I think you're right. do it on purpose. Let's write all those all the loopholes into law. Let's just, I don't know, like really, really get behind this thing and see what we can do. And celebrate that. it, right? Yeah, totally. I, I, I'm getting excited. Yeah. I think that would be a good subject for a book, Meredith. You also need to write a book on inheritance. Uh, you mm-hmm. haven't written a book yet, I, I don't think. Um, but uh, I'm sure we will get one out of you eventually. Uh, whilst there is no Meredith Haggerty book, there is a Substack uh, and lots of stuff on Vox. What else would you suggest? What books would you suggest people pick up in 2022? It's a bit late for 2021 now. It is a bit late for 2021. I, I mean, I did read mostly the most mainstream books of 2021. I I really enjoyed Crossroads, even though I hate uh, everything Jonathan Franzen says as a person usually, although not everything. And, and he's a fantastic novel. Why is it a good book? I haven't read it. I, I read his yeah. earlier novels, which are good. It's, it's incredibly good. I like, you know, it's, it's a big, thick book that I read real fast. Um, I mean, I love Sally Rooney, um, beautiful world. Where are you? Um, yeah, I, I mean like the most, uh, I, I like it when my Marxism comes with the side of gossip sort of, or what feels like gossip. Is that Rooney Marxism with a side of gossip? Yeah. I like to think of it that way. Uh, yeah. Marxism. So Franson and Rooney for 2022. Anyone less (laughs) well-known Meredith? Um, oh, actually, you know what? Let me remind myself. There's, I read a book in uh, in 2021 about an heiress that I really enjoyed called "The Woman Who Stole Vermeer." Uh, it's sitting here next to me. 
by Anthony Amore. Uh, it was about a an Irish uh, uh, an Irish heiress who was also a member of the IRA and stole a Vermeer to uh, to fund uh, you know a little bit of terrorism. Sounds a wonderful book. Well, who's the author and what's the title again? Uh, the title is "The Woman Who Stole Vermeer." It's sitting here beside me, and it's Anthony Amore. Um, I assume that's how you pronounce his name, Amore. Um, yeah, it was uh, very educational. Well, Meredith, I want to wish you very, very happy 2022. Healthy, happy, productive. I'm sure we're going to get lots more pieces out of you. As I said, I'd love a book about inheritance. I think it's a fascinating subject, just in, in, in cultural and in economic terms. I want to wish everyone watching this, our audience, a very happy 2022. We'll have lots more interviews in the new year. And I hope, Meredith, we'll have you back. So keep well, happy new year, and thanks for a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for watching this Keenon show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or, or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keenon show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network. Uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have uh, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keenon show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally, uh, perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows, you might email me at a.keen at me.com, or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of, of people with interesting new books and projects, which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keenon. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not too distant future.